Are you ready to take your Ford ownership to the next level? Introducing Ford Pass at Jim K. Ford. Your passport to a world of convenience and control. Start your vehicle remotely. Lock or unlock it from your smartphone. Receive instant alerts about your vehicle's health and schedule service appointments. Don't miss out on the Ford Pass revolution at Jim K. Ford. 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans or online at JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the program. Yes, sir, lots going on in Sensland. Off to an impressive 3-1 and one start. Three straight wins since we last got together and, and dominating wins. A couple of 5-2 victories, a 6-1 win. The cap crunch, though, continues to be an issue. Josh Norris returns to the lineup. The return of Alex DeBrinkett on Saturday afternoon. And Sens owner Michael Andlauer visits with Ottawa Mayor Mark Sutcliffe, dishing a bit on the future of maybe a rink downtown. All still ahead today here on the program. It is Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. And I'll ask it like I always ask it. How are things, Greg? <laughs> and as I always say, things are good, Stephen. Thank you for asking. I'm kind of excited, though. There's a bit of a test coming up uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Detroit's in town. Uh, that's a big deal, right? Like they're both they're tied for first place in the division, Steve. They're they both got playoff spots going for them so far. So I think this is a big test. It, it'll be interesting to see if the if the high powered offense continues to produce as it has. I'm interested in seeing the reception the fans have for Alex to bring it. Uh, just it's going to be a good game all around. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, very similar. These two teams, right? They've both had long playoff absences. I think the Sens and the Red Wings, uh, they're second and third. I think Detroit is second longest and this at seven and the Sens are at six. And so both of them, though, have rebuilt and they're both expected to have fine seasons and they're both off to fine starts. And certainly the storyline for this one is going to be Alex Dabrinkit, his big return and what are you expecting as far as a reception from the fan base here in Ottawa? I think they're going to be split, Stephen. I think the uh, there was an article today in The Athletic from Ian Mendez, an in-depth sort of uh, phone interview he did with the cat. And the cat's trying to explain himself and, and basically saying, you know, it was a family decision. So I think half the crowd is probably going to appreciate that and understand that and be okay with it. But I think there's still going to be some diehards who aren't too impressed and aren't too pleased with, with the cat's decision to leave. Yeah, it's always a, it's always an interesting thing when you kind of look at it because if it's a homecoming, right, and it's your hometown that's involved, it's a lovely story. But if some player wants a homecoming involving a team that's not your team, it isn't necessarily as well received. You think about the Claude Giroux thing. Everybody loved that here. You know, he's coming home. This is a place he's been since he was 13, 14 years of age. Um, and lives here year round. And so it made sense. His, his family's from here, his wife, Ryan, and uh, she's a Canada girl. So it made sense and it was great. And we loved it. And Giroux's been a great player. With DeBrinkett, he's doing exactly the same thing, literally exactly the same thing. His wife is from the Michigan area. He's from the Michigan area. His family's there. So I guess we have to have some level of empathy. It's just fans wanted to see that uh, continue and, and see, because I don't think we saw the best of DeBrinkett last year. And uh, right out of the gate, as he arrives in Ottawa, uh, he arrives as the NHL's leading scorer, Greg. Yeah, that, that kind of rubbing a little salt into the wounds, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think the one slight difference, though, with Giroux is Giroux is a free agent. 
Dabrinkit wasn't yet. So he kind of forced Ottawa's hand into making that trade. I think that that would rub people the wrong way. But then again, if he'd stayed for the year and then left, <laughs> everybody would be ticked at him then as well. So he, he he really couldn't win either way he went. But as for the season, yeah, yeah he, he, he made a couple comments that uh, – that uh, a couple, he's had some luck too so far this year. No, they haven't all been uh, been oil paintings. Uh, his goals this year, but still, he's off to a hot start. Is 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 it a hot start or is it he's kind of returned to normal? I guess that that's a that's a debate we can have after ten or twelve games and see how many goals he's at by then. I guess. There's an old Garth Brooks song that's called "Sometimes You Thank God for Unanswered Prayers." Not to say anybody was praying that Alex DeBrinket would stay, but they certainly wanted him to stay. And you know what? It might have been a blessing in disguise that it worked out the way it did. You think of the salary cap crunch that this team is under now. Holy cow! I I know that you know you wouldn't have Kubalik here and you wouldn't have Tarasenko here, so it might be different. But you know, it might have you know if he had stayed. It really uh, could have been truly tricky to get everybody shoehorned in under the cap. Yeah, and I think once you start going down that road, Steve, then we're like, uh, what is it? If ifs and buts, no, ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all open a corner store. Isn't there something like that? No, we'd yeah. all have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, that's that's what you're looking <laughs> at, right? You'd be, you'd be sitting here questioning this move and that move. And let's remember that that moves are made based on the present circumstances some moves, not all moves. A lot of moves are made on looking to the future. But in this case, this move was made based on the present circumstances. The signing of Tarasenko, the signing of Kubalik were pretty much had, or sorry, the trading for Kubalik. These things were forced upon the senators. And in the end, I, I think you're right. In the end, at the end of the day, come, I don't know, let's say playoff time this season, you look back on it and think, you know what? This, I think the Senators did all right. If they make the playoffs and if they have a good, strong season, I think we're all going to look back and say, you know what? It worked out okay. So what do you think of what they got for Debrinket? Because there will be some comparison shopping today. Kubalik was directly acquired in the Debrinket deal, and Tarasenko, in a pseudo manner, was basically acquired with the money saved from Debrinket leaving. So what have, what have been your early opinions of what they effectively got for Debrinket in Kubalik and Tarasenko? Yeah, you really have to take it as a package. You have to include Tarasenko in the whole comparison in the tit for tat here because because Kubalik is not going to replace uh, Alex Dabrinkit. That's just not going to happen. No. He, he's he's going to play in a in a lesser role, and you've got Tarasenko to sort of pick up the slack from the Dabrinkit job. So I think in that sense they did okay, and people are going to look at it and say, "Well, wait a minute, you know, really." It was truly only Kubalik, uh, Sabrango, right? And yep. what was the draft pick? Was the second? I think. Was um, it, maybe it was even looking lower. back at the. Um, yeah, so it's a first, a fourth, Sabrango, Kubalik. Yeah, so I just I'm I'm thinking that may not work out so well in the end. It'll depend. It's like any other trade, right, Steve? You've got to give it a little more time to breathe and a little some development here by other players and the draft choices. And when it's all said and done, you can look back on it. But in first blush, uh, the best player in the trade ended up in Detroit. That's the old school way of looking at it. Whoever got the best player won the trade. Although you really can't judge trades that way anymore because. Part of a lot of trades is I gained cap space and gaining cap space is oftentimes just as valuable as a first round draft pick, depending on your team and your organization and your, and your current cap situation. 
Well, we're certainly seeing for the first time in the Sens history, really, uh, well, since the cap era uh, began in the mid-2000s, we're seeing what a nuisance it is to be up against the cap for the first time. We saw it out of the gate. Well, first of all, Shane Pinto is the biggest storyline there. They've been unable to re-sign him as an RFA because they just don't have cap room. Then they open up opening night. They're only able to put 11 forwards on the ice. And now, now they have to get creative because of the cap uh, just to have six defensemen on the ice for Saturday afternoon's game against the Detroit Red Wings because they've only been able to carry, that's another thing, they've only been able to carry six defensemen. No room for a seventh as a lot of teams do carry. So they're kind of playing with fire, hoping there's no injuries. And guess what? They got an injury. Artem Zub got a Alex Ovechkin shot near the ear area the other night. And so he's questionable for Saturday afternoon. He might play, but questionable at the moment. And so they have to be ready with somebody to call up from Belleville. And that's going to cost them money, cap room. And so they had to put Zach McEwen on waivers after just two games with the organization to sign a three-year deal. So he might get, get, get end up getting claimed. Uh, he might end up going to Belleville. But uh, just one more example of the nuisance of the salary cap crunch the Sens are dealing with for the first time. And, but they're not the only team in the league, right? Like the, the fact no, that no. the cap has not moved in or barely moved in three years has affected a lot of teams. There's now seven or eight that have dressed a less than full lineup so far this season. It's not uncommon now. As a matter of fact, it's probably a, an, a skill now that general managers have to have and have to understand that this is a tactic they can use to get around problems. Um, it'll all be cleared up next year when the cap goes up. Everything will be fine. But for now, this is this is what you're stuck with. Um, in, in the McEwen decision, I, I found it interesting because the Senators have never liked putting players in the minors who are on one-way deals. This is a first pretty much that I can think of anyway. So that's interesting that Michael Landlauer would have had to okay that. That's a lot of money to to throw down to a guy who's going to play in Belleville. And I, I can see him being the guy who's there regularly, if and when Shane Pinto's back in the lineup, the easier move is Ridley Gregg because he's on a two-way deal. It's less money, yada, yada. But the way he's played, he deserves to be here. And Zach McEwen's role is not necessary every night, right? There are nights when you just you don't need that kind of deterrent in the lineup. So he's going to be a guy who's in and out of the lineup. Once the cap gets straightened out, they carry an extra forward. Okay, McEwen stays here. Or maybe he just stays in Belleville. Who knows? We're going to have to wait and see what happens with Pinto. That's going to have the cascading effect of what happens to McEwen or Greg or whoever else is around. Yeah, you'd think if you ever needed a guy like Zach McEwen, it would have been the game Wednesday night against Tom Wilson and the Washington Capitals. Instead, it's Wilson out there mucking it up a little bit with um, Ridley Gregg at the end of the contest where Jake Sanderson had to come over and kind of intervene and he's not going to go with either of those types of players uh so yeah you'd think if you ever needed McEwen it would have been for a game like that so uh and by the way Jacob Bernard Docker is also a guy on a one-way deal who's down in the minors so it's uh right. it's just the new era right obviously Michael Landlauer is willing to do what it takes uh money wise and uh and not cut corners so we'll talk about Michael Landlauer in just a second that he finally got around to that mayor's breakfast that he had promised uh earlier this fall but uh, the deal wasn't quite done, and so Pierre Dorian filled in for him that time. But on Thursday of this week, and Lauer sat down with Mayor Mark Sutcliffe, and they talked about an NHL arena, and we'll have that conversation for you coming up after these words. 
Ladies and gentlemen, rev up your engines and get ready for the deal of a lifetime. Jim K. Ford is proud to announce the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale, the event you've been waiting for. For a limited time only, Jim K. Ford is offering unbeatable discounts, jaw-dropping financing options, and mind-blowing trade-in deals. Don't miss out on the 2023 Ford F-150 clear-out sale at Jim K. Ford, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans, or jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! I mean, the other interesting question is, okay, who's going to play with who? <laughs> Sanderson and Zub, while everyone refers to them as the second pairing, they're the shutdown pair. So are you going to mm-hmm. sub somebody from, from Belleville in there to play with Sanderson and be in the shutdown pair? I don't think so. Uh, can Hamannick handle that kind of a role? Uh, I don't think so. So does that mean everybody's getting moved around? Maybe we see Chikrin back with Sanderson. Uh, whoever gets called up kind of flips in and out playing with uh, – with Shabbat, and then you've got the other two, you know, Branny and, and Hamannick stay together. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I'm more interested in seeing how how the how whoever the call up is is used. That 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 poses a, a more more questions to me. Yeah, uh, always interesting personnel decisions to be made, and there's certainly some front office personnel decisions apparently to be made at the mayor's breakfast. Michael Andlauer, in conversation with Mayor Mark Sutcliffe on Thursday said that Steve Steos does, in fact, plan to hire, very soon, more front office staff, more support for Pierre Dorian, which is something that Dorian has publicly been asking for. I'm not sure he was publicly asking for a new boss. I'll just throw that out there. But <laughs> there will be more you know, assistant GMs, more director of player personnel type players, according to Michael Andlauer. That was one of the things Andlauer spoke of, but uh, the big thing that came out of that mayor's breakfast, and we'll play a little bit of that conversation from Thursday here now, was uh, an interesting dialogue about the future of the Ottawa Senators rink, and it sure sounds like it's definitely headed downtown. How do you see um, the the future? It's kind of interesting for me to be asking you this question, uh, obviously, because I have, I've, I've expressed my own feelings on the, on the subject of uh, the future of of the senators and where they could play eventually. I don't think we, we need to be in a big rush on that because the arena is that that uh, that the senators are playing in now is perfectly fine. I was there on the weekend. It was a great atmosphere. The game was sold out. Um, but I think the time to to think about those those kinds of decisions is before a building becomes you know becomes. Uh, obsolete or falling into disrepair and that sort of thing. And we've seen, you know, we've seen examples of, of stadiums and other facilities that have been left too long. Um, so I think there's an opportunity. I've said that before. I think there's an opportunity for us to have a conversation around where the senators could play for the next 50 years. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, that was a topic, uh, a central topic with the owner, with the, with the bid, obviously. Um, and a lot of, I guess this, this has been going on for probably six years, I think, right. With the, um, initially with another group and, uh, and the previous owner, um, with rendezvous, um, um, I learned about that. Um, I mean, ultimately that's one thing I learned, by the way, when I, when I met with the mayor, I had no idea that Canada which seems so far away, which isn't really, by the way, it's only half an hour drive. If you live in Toronto or Montreal, you'd know that what half an hour gets you in traffic, not very far. 
Um, but it, Canada is part of, of Ottawa. And, uh, and they showed me the map and how he was, what, three times, Ottawa's three times the size of Paris or? It's 10 times the size of Paris. There you go. Yeah. Four times the size of Toronto. There you go. Geographically. Yep. Yeah. So it's, uh, it seems that the, that people want the arena downtown. That seems to, to what the, the initial feedback that I have. Um, certainly the NCC, uh, is desirous of it. Uh, for the Breton lands, uh, we have spoken about it. Um, it, it, my gut feel says it. This, it's the right thing. Um, our fans um, seem to feel that way as well. Um, so there's there's alignment. Um, now it's just a matter of working collaboratively and doing what's right. And for me, it's that that's all I'm going to focus on. It's you know what what is right um what's right for fans and uh everything will fall in place um you know to me this is my passion this this team is my passion um it's about sustainability um you know i want to i want this to feel right five years from uh you know um that's why i tell my employees i don't have a job as a ceo at I don't, I don't slug freight anymore. I don't drive a truck. I don't, uh, I don't, my own, my only job is to make sure that those employees are gainfully employed in five years from now. Uh, so I look at it in the same, same realm that this, uh, I want to make sure that what we're doing is the right thing for five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. Um, so I guess it's to be continued, but the feedback is, is critical. And, but I, I get a feel that there's no, there's no opposition. There doesn't seem to be a, that, that pushback. Um, so let's work collaboratively and, and do this, um, uh, you know, Roger Greenberg is looking at doing what's right for the city in, in, in the, in the fundraising of this hospital and we're working collaboratively to make this happen. So I think, I think we can do the same thing for an arena here. So there's new Sens owner, Michael Andlauer in conversation with Ottawa mayor, Mark Sutcliffe. And that was some good synergy between just happening to be those two guys in particular, because they'd be obviously big players in the construction of a new arena downtown. I think one thing, Greg, that I might push back on would be the thought that he has that there's been no pushback. I would say the caveat there would be yet. Second, you start putting public money in that, you're gonna, you've are gonna. you only heard really from Sens fans and people who care about the team at this stage. Once you involve public money, as it probably will be the case down the road, uh, he will get some pushback, I think, in the future. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you're no, you're bang on. It's 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 the way of the the world in the states where municipalities put up money to to build sports facilities, but not necessarily uh, in Canada. Um, I, I thought he was very measured. It was quite obvious that he he he, he probably has more thoughts than he than he let out. Let's put it that way. Uh, um, but downtown's the way to go. I think we're all in agreement there that eventually it's it's going to end up downtown, and he knows that, and the mayor knows that. I think everybody knows that. So it's just a matter of where and when, and that needs to be ironed out now. Yeah, measured is a good word. I think you you heard some pausing and some stuttering, largely because uh, he's sort of, should I say that here at this point in time, um, even talked about, Maybe some of his strategies moving forward, didn't want other NHL teams to get wind of it, that kind of thing. But one thing's clear through his whole address there and the conversation with Mark Sutcliffe, he really is. I, I just I don't believe anybody's that good an actor. I think 
his level of sincerity. Um, I think he's true to his word that he probably is an employee first owner. Um, I think across the board, I, I continue to feel really good about Michael Andlauer's arrival as the owner of this franchise. For sure. He's genuine. Yeah. That's that's the word I keep coming up. He's genuine. And he yeah. describes himself as a fan first. And yeah, he, and he acts like a fan first, right? He's he's just there to, and he used the term caretaker a couple times. Now mm-hmm. he's used the word, I'm the caretaker of the franchise. The fans own the team. I'm the caretaker. And I, I, it's a breath of fresh air, and it's wonderful, and I can't wait to see the kind of things that he's going to accomplish here. Back up high to Sanderson. Settles it down. Played it off. And that clip courtesy of our friends at Sportsnet. Greg, what a return for Josh Norris. Two goals in a 6-1 victory over the Washington Capitals, Greg. It was beautiful, wasn't it? And and really, I I mean, there was talk, rumors, maybe he's back soon, maybe he's not. I wasn't believing any of it, just like you. I I was going to, I believe that Josh Norris is in the lineup when I see him on the ice. And uh, he he fit right in like like he was never gone. You know, everything's everything falls into place around them, lineup wise, special teams. It, it's perfect. It's it's about time. Good to see it. We'll try and get Drake Batherson on uh, our next episode to talk a little bit about it. Uh, but we talk about everything falling into place. I mean, Batherson's been good. Don't get me wrong. For the first three games, he was creating chances. Still had you know donuts on the stat page and everything, but was creating and and was had played with good jump, but. The chemistry that he's had with Josh Norris all the way back to their Belleville days when they're breaking into the NHL, uh, that was pretty evident on Wednesday night. A couple of assists for Batherson. Yeah, he's out of it. He's maybe he, I, I don't want to say he was in a funk, but uh, statistically he was in a funk, but his game's been great. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And, and and they just showed a good highlight pack in the broadcast showing the chemistry between the two of them and and how it's 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 almost effortless for Batherson to be able to find Norris and Norris is he's he's the finisher which is not not normal when the centerman's the finisher but uh no they 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 connect while the power play goal was a thing of was a thing of beauty wasn't it the the behind the back through the legs across the crease gorgeous and the and the uh the other goal that Norris scored was perfect off the forecheck good uh, good elimination separation of man for puck batherson picks up the loose puck and he takes one stride takes a quick peek boom finds norris all alone the slot for the for norris's second goal he was the obvious first star on the night with a couple of goals and a 6-1 win over washington on wednesday night and he of course was the guy everybody in the media wanted to talk to after the game um i mean obviously it's um been a long road and um some long days and uh, we're finally here now so um I think it's kind of one of those moments it's weird like I think God's pretty amazing and um don't want to get like too philosophical here but um yeah it's just a, it was a great night and happy we uh we won this game come at you at 100 miles an hour when you stepped onto the ice yeah a little bit yeah especially at the start but um you know felt I settled it right in um after a few shifts and um just tried to make it like I was playing another hockey game so uh, it was fun before you went over the boards what was going through your mind not not much really um like I said, just try to treat it like a normal game. And, um, you know, I did hear the the fans kind of, you know, give me a nice little ovation. So I thought that was really cool. And, um, yeah, just, you know, tried to treat it like a normal game. How much, I mean, you've been away from the game for a long time and had, you know, to fight your way back. How much emotional weight were you carrying tonight going in? Um, 
I mean, I don't think I was really caring much tonight. I think um, I was just so focused on the game and, um, you know, maybe uh, a few weeks ago or, um, you know, when I was hoping to be back, it was a little harder on me. Um, but, I mean, you know, everything kind of passes and um, just was making the right decision decision for myself and um, knew I needed a little bit more time. And, um, you know, everybody here was great and um, they had my back. So, you know, thankful for that. How good was that feeling to score in your first game back? <laughs> it was cool, yeah. Like, uh, like you said, it's been a really long time since I played, so um, I kind of just blacked out there for a second and um, then just got back to the game, so it was great. So there's Josh Norris in conversation with the media after Wednesday night's game, and uh, you talked about this in an article in the Hockey News this week about the uh, the pressure release valve that he provides to that lineup. It's amazing, right? Like uh, a second you put him in there, it puts Ridley Gregg in, in a role that he is more suited to. Ridley Gregg, for all his talents, and, and we all love him, but he shouldn't be playing as a number two center this early in his career. His offensive skills aren't clear yet, whatever. So that at release pressure from Gregg, Gregg goes down, plays the third line with Tarasenko. Uh, they've had some early chemistry. They look good. It takes pressure off. The first line, all of a sudden, now you've got a second line that will score consistently. It takes pressure off. Uh, D-zone coverage is that much better when you've got a player of Josh Norris's abilities. Uh, he'll play the PK, so that takes pressure off there. He'll play the power play. That makes that easier. Uh, everything all around, even face-offs, right, Steve? Here's another guy who can take D-zone draws late in the game. Uh, Claude Giroux's been taking some. Castellick's uh, been taking them. Is Kastelik the guy you want on the ice in that situation? Probably not. So if Kastelik's taking D-zone draws, he's got to get off the ice. Well, now you're okay. If it's Norris, he can stay on the ice. Not a problem. So it just it's incredible how much pressure is released all across the roster in all facets of the game just by reinserting Josh Norris in your lineup. Still a bit nervous, I got to say. I was at the game on Wednesday night, and every time he took a face-off and he's really reefing on that thing, he also took a pretty hard bump in the game. I'm still a little nervous about it. I'm not I'm not in a mode just because we've seen this act before. Not this act. That sounds that sounds like I'm being critical. We've seen this storyline before where, you know, Josh Norris going down the tunnel, throwing his stick, and um, you know, we've seen reoccurrences before. So we got our fingers crossed for Josh Norris moving forward. But you're right, he uh it's not just that he's back in that lineup, whether it's Batherson or all the things you just talked about. Um, it just makes the team so, so much better and takes pressure off a lot of folks. No question about that. Um, and, his, and his first yeah. draw was was on that left dot too, right? Like his first draw of the game was in that one where he went down on the faceoff. I felt the same way you felt. Cross your fingers, hold your breath while he takes a faceoff. <laughs> now, Jake Sanderson is uh, certainly off to a fine start to the campaign. And uh, we'll see what effect... Zub coming out of the lineup on Saturday has, but I mean, we all think Jake Jake Sanderson some point is going to emerge as a Norris Trophy candidate. I wonder could that happen as early as this year? Like he's been that good through four games to the point where this week DJ Smith moved him to the number one power play unit. Right now he has five points in the first four games that ranks him second in the NHL among all defensemen and. It's a neat sign that DJ Smith is starting to see what the rest of us see, that he is really ready for prime time on that top power play unit. And I honestly thought, Greg, that watching that power play unit 
with Jake Sanderson up top quarterbacking things. They moved the puck quicker. They moved it more efficiently and with purpose. I think that this may be a permanent solution. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it stays there, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, he moves the puck well. He gets the puck. He's a puck mover. He's a puck distributor. Like it's the power play is both coming out of the zone and and his play at the top of the blue line. Like he, he gets the puck out of the zone. He makes a good first pass. I mean, the senator breakout doesn't really rely on the defenseman on the power play, but he, he, he can make those plays. If it comes to him, he's going to make a good decision through the neutral zone. It's it's the one knock that uh, among among many that you have. There <laughs> only one that I have with Thomas Shabbat, and that is I don't think he plays with enough urgency. He just looks too casual, too calm. Jake Sanderson looks calm, but he's still moving his feet. He's still making things happen. He's still got some speed to his game, especially uh, top of the umbrella on the power play where you need that sense of urgency there. And I think that's the biggest difference between Sanderson and Shabbat on the power play. Yeah, I tend to agree with our friend Sean Simpson. Um he has always had the take that because he's played Thomas Shabbat so many minutes so often and sometimes playing exhausted, I'm sure, that to survive those insane amounts of minutes that you become a one-speed hockey player. Mm-hmm. There's a coasting that has to happen just to, so you can get through a game. And I think that it's like the old thing where you're running practice and you're doing drills with stops and starts. It's way more work to do the stop and then go back in the other direction than it is to keep coasting, loop around, and eventually get there. Sometimes you get away with that, and sometimes you won't. And Shabbat does way too much of that for me. So that goes to your point about urgency. And I think it's just, I don't think it's a laziness. I just think it's a force of habit. What he had to do in the past to survive a 30-minute a night sort of a work schedule, uh, I think that that has almost... I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe you. You have him in the with less ice time. You know, second pairing minutes, five on five. Mm-hmm. Sort of say, hey, this is what we need out of you. And until that happens, you're not going to be getting those top pairing minutes because I think he's just moved into a. Because it's been what he's been in the league now since 2018, 2017, something like that. 17. And so, yeah, he's got he's got to he's got to find a way to get that urgency back and 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 do the things that get you to point A to point B all the faster. And also having him play in that second unit, let's call it with Chikrin, it makes that transition shift, that first shift after a power play, it makes it that much easier for coaching staff to, to put who they want on the ice, right? You, you're, 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 if, if Shabbat's on one pair and Sanderson and Chikrin are on the other pair, that's too much of a mismatch there when it comes to, okay, which two are going to go on for the first shift after the power play. This kind of makes that a smoother transition, especially if somebody wants to come back with their number one line immediately after they've killed a penalty. Uh, you want Zub and Sanderson out there, and if Sanderson takes the first part of a power play, he's fresh and ready to go for the first shift after the power play. Um, it also helps with chemistry. It helps uh, Shabbat and Chikrin get even more comfortable with each other when they're playing together on the power play at the same time. I don't think Chikrin's ever going to leave his spot. He is, he's the Josh Norris spot one T guy on the right flank. When it seems that Tarasenko plays the uh, the bumper role, even Brady was playing the bumper the other night. Did you notice that? Brady was playing bumper on unit one because Batherson was down low uh, at, at the net front and you had Stutzla and uh, Norris playing the flanks. So there's so many weapons there 
right? There's another pressure release point, right? When Josh Norris steps into the lineup, there's so many more options for you on the power play. You've really got two five-man units that are very, very good. Craig Anderson in the news. Craig Anderson has just got a job with the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, I'm not sure what it is exactly. They didn't have official title. It's sort of a consultant, whatever it is. And, of course, he finished out his career uh, against the Senators last spring. Buffalo Sabres uh, beat the Sens that night. And a neat moment. All the Sens players went over and congratulated the opposing goalie on a fine career, as he calls it a career. And certainly the greatest goalie in Sens history, I think. We can agree on that. And according to Darren Drager, coming up on Tuesday as the Sens take on the Sabres, yeah, it's signing a one-day one contract, according to Drager, so that he can retire as an Ottawa Senator. And so they'll honor him that night. Will they further honor him with Ring of Honor or Jersey retirement? I'd like to see one of the – he's not a Jersey guy. I think he's a Ring of Honor guy, though. I think we've discussed this in the past, and – why can't you do that Tuesday night? I think that'd be great. Why why have why do it one night and then another night later in the year do it or or five years from now? Like let's let's do it right now. Put it put the number up there and get her done. Yep, I'd agree. Uh he was uh he was a good soldier for the Sens. He was the goalie in that twenty seventeen run to the conference final. Uh there were some good moments, there were some sketchy moments. Man, I hated watching that guy try and handle the puck. <laughs> but overall, best goalie in Sens history. Patrick Laleem statistically had some great moments as well. But uh, I would say Dominic Hasek is the best goalie who has ever played for the team. But that was an ill-fated one-year run, and he gets hurt at the Olympics. And uh, who knows how that season might have panned out if Hasek had stayed healthy. I'm getting derailed here in memory and nostalgia, but I would have Hasek as the best goalie to ever suit up for the Sens. But greatest goalie in franchise history, no doubt in my mind that it is. Craig Anderson. Now, I wanted to get to some trivia here. You came up with this. Came up in your hockey news column this week, your Friday Five. And it was about Brady Kachuk's career, basically establishing all the many placeholders who've played for the Ottawa Senators during this rebuild, the revolving door of these types of players. And you did the research to find out Exactly how many players have been introduced at a Sens home opener during the career of Brady Kachuk, which has been basically the rebuild years, and the number is staggering. And it also has a bit of symmetry to it, I got to say, as a Sens fan. <laughs> okay. Yes, the, the number, number is 67, Steve. I was, uh, yes. I knew it was going to be high, but I didn't expect that. The, the biggest turnover years were, were Brady's, uh, from Brady's first to second and second to third. From his, from his first game, uh, his first year, there was 11 different guys the next year and then 12 different guys the year after that. Like, think of that. That's, wow. that's half of your roster turned over one year and again the next year that's amazing and, and and kind of mirroring as you alluded to mirroring the rebuild in the last couple of years there was only six new guys this year i um actually no it's seven corpusalo so it's seven new guys this year in, in the opening night roster and and it was only uh it was only seven and eight the couple of years before so it's uh it was interesting, but you're right. It's a it's a who's who of oh yeah, I remember that guy. Oh yeah, he played here. Some of the names is just it's it's crazy. The guys that came and went over the years of Brady's career, the poor kid. 
this is really trivial, <laughs> but it is, a, it, is a, it is a growing concern for me. <laughs> I was at the game on Wednesday night as they took on the Washington Capitals, and I noticed it on the TV uh, in previous games. This new celebration that Sens fans have come up with, and I am not a fan whatsoever. Uh, it was just a small nuisance when I'm watching it on TV, but being in the building at the CTC, this new wooing, this random speckling of woo from various fans all through the building, it sounds a little like this. Woo, woo. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I want to give you a sense of how obnoxious it is. And I put it out on social media that I hope that trend was going to be short-lived. And I got so much response on it, either to the good or the bad. I had some people saying, oh, God, yes, I, that, that thing has got to die and be fired into the sun <laughs> as a trend. And then others took to social media to bury me, calling me Grandpa Simpson, shaking my fist at a cloud. To me, it's like, it's not. how is this an age issue exactly? People saying that, oh, Ottawa fans aren't allowed to have fun, eh, Grandpa Warren? It's like, no, it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with me resisting people having fun. I want people to have fun. They were doing that Hey Baby song. I thought that was a lame song and everything, but fans were having fun with it, so what do I care? It's great. But the wooing thing, to me, it's like, how about I go up to a, I don't know, a 25-year-old Sens fan. I blow an air horn in their ear, and when they complain about it, I will call them grumpy old men. What's the matter with you? You don't like me having fun? That would be the analogy that I would draw. Anyway, I don't know if you've even noticed it, Greg, but to me, this is the this is something that threatens to tear this fan base apart. This might very well be the new north side south side dispute. It'll be the woo crowd and the anti-woo crowd. Mark my words. Okay, I have a question for you though, Steve. If it was okay. coordinated and if everybody just said it once together at the same time, would that be acceptable to you? Absolutely, it would. There you go. Just do the one, the one Ric Flair. I like a good Ric Flair. Sure. I just don't like it going off every second from some different part in the building. A good woo is yeah. fantastic. I'm all, yeah. I'm all about it. I mean, he's gone to sporting events all over North America to scream that into the microphone. Woo! No problem. Yeah. The but other the thing random is random speckling of woos. I don't like it, <laughs> but he's a Tampa Bay lightning season ticket holder. And he's at, he's at lightning games and they go to him from time to time right. in the stands and he does a woo. So there's that whole underlying thing here. Do we really need to take something from Tampa? Like, no, but I, I'm okay. Yeah. If they, if, if it's done once at maybe shortly after a goal, I don't know, figure it out. But but you're right. It's like imagine if if this section over here suddenly started doing a wave and it only lasted for two sections. And then like three seconds later, some other section way over there up higher starts a wave and it only and it dies out. That's what it is. It's like multiple waves starting and ending at different times all over the building. It's 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 comparable to that. And then that would look stupid and everyone would agree with you. Yeah. I live in rural Ottawa in the summertime. The coyotes get going outside my window and it drives me crazy with all their howling all over the place. That's sort of the same effect. It's not an old man thing. There's many things you can attack me about 
uh, being a guy who's deep in the middle age as I am. You can go after me for a number of different things. I get that. <laughs> but this is this is just you ask me at age 16 what I would have thought of that. I guarantee 16 year old Steve would have said that is a trend that needs to be fired into the sun. No question about it. So <laughs> I have a new yeah, trend, though, that I'd like to see. Speaking of 67, growing up an Islander fan and attending games on Long Island and sending Ranger games on Long Island, the Islander fans would chant like 1940 during the game, all together, all at once with a little organ accompaniment. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do. 1940, just to, just to chirp the Rangers. I've never understood why we can't here in Ottawa – get together and when the Leafs are here the organist goes and we all just go 67 that would be perfect whenever the Leafs are here and whenever we're clobbering them on the ice just to chirp them hard I want to see that start skip your woo let's go with the 67 chant yeah I'd be all about that I know if we're lifting something from New York the pot van sucks thing with oh, insert no. leaf you hate most in there would be great. Pot van sucks. Yeah. Throw right. in Tucker sucks or Domi sucks, whatever you want. Uh, Matthews sucks. If you want to modernize it, I'd be all about that. But I, I, I love watching the fans have a great time. So it's not about that. I love as lame as it is. I love John Denver country roads when they sing yeah. that in the building is is becoming very very common like to see mr Brightside by the killers because that's brady kachuk's obvious favorite song that would be a good one to sing i know i think a colorado avalanche do that as well but um yeah all about having fun but the woo thing please it's obnoxious it's grating and honestly it made the game less fun for us in the third period in that washington game it really did anyway yeah call it quits there Hope you had some fun listening into the show today. If you want to contact us, you can do so. Uh, our email address is sendsnationpodcast at outlook.com. If there's anything you want to hear us talk about here on the program, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback for us, we'd love that too. So have a fantastic weekend. And uh, don't forget that uh, you can listen to our podcast anytime, sendsnationhockey.com. Greg, enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. For sure. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. Share this show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.